what are some of the things that make you ashamed? What are the things that embarrass you in this life? Have you thought about that? I've given this some thought, and I tried to remember some of my own embarrassing moments and some of the things that brought me shame. Uh, there was the time in high school when I walked into church, into our brand new church building, and uh, I walked through one of the doors and instead ran into a, a pane of glass that had just been installed in front of everybody. There was getting caught talking to myself uh, or rehearsing a speech. That, that always brings color to my face. There was a time I went to greet a woman and her friend who I was waiting on in a restaurant. And uh, the, the woman's friend had long, wavy, blonde hair. And as I approached, I asked them, ladies, can I offer you something to drink? Only to turn to her friend and realize that the other guest was a very masculine husband with long, wavy, blonde hair. I, I think he was Hulk Hogan. <laughs> the top of the list for me was that time at camp when I got up to take an early morning shower before everybody else in camp got up, and uh, I took a shower in the wrong restroom. Can't tell you how it petrifies a, a sixth grade or fifth grade boy when, when you get out of the shower and you start hearing voices that are not supposed to be in the same room that you're in. And then the one person that I let the news out to and told let it out to the entire camp. That's one way to ruin your fourth, fifth, sixth grade summer, whatever year that was. You know, when we encounter shame, there are ways that we can get over our embarrassment, aren't there? Sometimes it involves a change in behavior. When I waited on tables through seminary, I never again greeted a table before I had observed who the guests were that, I was, that, were, that were at the table. I had to change the way that I acted. Sometimes it means paying attention to your surroundings, like the sign on the outside of the wall that says, girls, it's a good clue that you might be going into the wrong shower room. But sometimes overcoming shame requires a, a change of perspective. It requires that we look at the cause of embarrassment and we change our mind about the reasons that we sense that shame in the first place. In today's passage, uh, Paul offers encouragement to his young friend and pastor, Timothy. And, and so I'd like to encourage you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy with me in your Bibles. I, I know we did a series on 2 Timothy uh, a while back, but I'd like us to turn to this as we're going through the story because this is a very uh, a pertinent point in Paul's life and in our study of the story. See, throughout Paul's writings and ministry, one gains the sense that this, this pastor this young pastor named Timothy, that he was a bit of a, an introvert. Unlike many of us uh, who open our mouths when we probably ought to keep them shut, um, Timothy was prone to timidity, and, and he tended to keep his mouth shut when sometimes he needed to, to keep it open. In today's passage, Paul gives us four reasons why we never need to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ or the message of good news that we have been called to proclaim. If you find yourself embarrassed by your Savior, or find yourself ashamed to speak the most glorious news that has ever been made known to mankind, then today's passage will show you four ways to change your mind about the reasons you sensed that shame in the first place. Have any of you ever been in the presence of someone you know you need to share the gospel but you start thinking what will they think about me how will they react 
Timothy, Paul, 2 Timothy has a message for us today regarding those things. Yeah, before we jump in, let's, let's briefly just give thought to where we're at in the story as we're really in the final two weeks of our series. And then we're, we're going to spend most of our time in 2 Timothy chapter 1 itself. In volume 5 of our series, we've, we've seen how in the book of Acts, Acts gives us this overview of the first three decades of the church and how the Holy Spirit was, was ministering through the apostles and the prophets and those first people that had come to know Jesus Christ. And at the conclusion of Acts, we, we saw that Paul was under house arrest. He, he was living in a home, but probably chained to a, a Roman guard 24-7 as he waited trial before, before Caesar. And Luke ends part two of his two-book series with a, a note of, of optimism. Uh, Paul is, is in chains, but he's preparing to, to testify before Caesar and to pre- pre- present the gospel to the highest people in the land. And he anticipates being released. It's during that house arrest that we saw that he wrote several epistles. We call those the prison epistles. Uh, next month, we're going to spend some time studying one of those books called Philemon. Uh, but according to, church, according to church history, we believe that Paul was released from his chains. Uh, he went on to continue preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, in the next few years, he would write three letters, uh, which we call the prison, excuse me, not the prison epistles, but the, the pastoral epistles. We call them pastoral epistles, not because he wrote them when he was out in a pasture, but, but he wrote them to pastors, uh, Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. Uh, but it was also during this time, uh, Peter probably wrote his epistles, uh, Hebrews was written about the same time, and tradition claims that, that Paul might have even made a trip uh, to Spain, and some think that he even actually made it as far as Britain, where he continued to preach the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. But 2 Timothy uh, was not written from house arrest, nor on one of those journeys. Paul's final letter that we have before us was written from a a dark hole in a dungeon in Rome. Angie and I had the opportunity to visit the prison uh, the day we flew back from our our sabbatical. And quite literally, he was there in chains, and and the prison that he was held within was a, a dark, damp, filthy, obscure place. At the end of the first chapter, Paul speaks of a servant named Onesphorus who sought Paul out, and, and we're told that, that Onesphorus refreshed him. Uh, this, this wouldn't have been an easy task. It, it, and the indication is that this dear saint had to search for Paul. And his search was one that was diligent. He couldn't just you know, go to the records and, and call up the local police department and say, hey, I'm, I'm here to visit somebody. He, he had to search diligently for where Paul was and, and, and what dungeon he might be kept in. Paul was in a place where, where few would have wanted to find him. But here, Paul remembers not, not that he was abandoned by God after everything he had done in his service, because he knew that he hadn't, he, he doesn't remember, uh, he, he, he doesn't say that he, he'd failed at the end of his life where the whole world forgot him. It's not that the end of the journey was a grave disappointment, but Paul remembers that he was called by God and he remembers the promise of the life that he had in Jesus Christ. And those are the things that he tells Timothy. It was a life that was just about ready to begin in all of its fullness and he knew it. 
And so in, the book, in this book of the Bible, which probably represents some of the very last words that Paul ever wrote in just the, the last weeks of his life before he was beheaded, Paul gives words of encouragement to his dear friend, a young man named Timothy. And in today's passage, Paul gives us four reasons why we never need to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the message of the good news that we have been called to proclaim. In verse 5, the apostle spoke to Tim, of Timothy's sincere faith. Um, that means genuine. Uh, like his grandmother and his mother before him, uh, Timothy's faith was a faith without hypocrisy. He, he lived what he believed. And, and Paul said, I am reminded of your sincere faith. And then he continues in verse 6. Let's read the text together. First, second, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That he received a gift through the, the laying on of hands. There's been a lot that's been made of that and a lot of uh, interesting practices in some churches based on that. But, but really the laying of, on of hands, it refers to an ancient custom that, that showed that one person was associating themselves with another. It, it was an act of, of blessing. It, it was a gesture of approval. Uh, essentially, this was the ancient way of publicly putting your seal of approval on, on another person. Uh, a couple days ago, I wrote a, a letter of reference for somebody. Uh, that was me laying on hands in a way. It was me showing approval, showing uh, that uh, an act of blessing. It was me showing my association with another person and my willingness to put my signature at the bottom of a piece of paper. And so here Paul uh, refers to, he's referring to Timothy's ordination and ministry. And in particular, uh, Paul and the elders laid their hands on Timothy and there, there was a prophecy that was uttered, we're told. Uh, most likely a reference to a special impartation of a spiritual gift that was given to Timothy by the Holy Spirit at the time of his call to ministry. And the circumstances of Timothy's spiritual gift, uh, you know, quite honestly, they began a little bit differently than for most of us, didn't they? Uh, most of us didn't have some special prophecy over us, and, and uh, uh, you know, some of us are still trying to figure out what some of those gifts are as we continue to get involved in ministry. But what we need to understand is that every Christian Every single person that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ has received through the Holy Spirit a spiritual gift or a mixture of gifts that are intended for ministry. They're intended for serving. They're intended to bring glory to God. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit resides in you and he gives to you the ability to fulfill your ministry through what he has equipped you with and through his continued presence in your life. And though the, the circumstances for Timothy's spiritual gift were a little bit different, there, there's a reminder here for Timothy and a, rem, a reminder for each one of us regarding the gifts that God has given to you. Your ministry, your service that you live out before God is empowered by God. Your Gifts that, that were given to you by God himself are empowered by him. You know, you and I, you and I didn't, we, we didn't walk into a Walmart super gifts on, on, uh, on, on one day and go for a shopping spree for the gifts that we wanted for ourselves, did we? 
We didn't have a store. We walked in and said, oh, I want this and this and this, and, and, and this is what I'm going to do. God, God uniquely shaped each one of us. He shaped how he had gifted us. And we're told in Scripture how the, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us our gifts. He's the one who customizes and tailor fit them for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. When he called you to faith, uh, he mixed up his special recipe that was designed specifically for the way that he made you and specifically for the ministry that he intended for you to use those gifts. Therefore, since God himself is the source of the gifts that he has given to us, like Timothy, we need to fan them into flame. What's that mean? You've all been in a campfire before, right? You... Uh, you started a campfire and, and, and you're trying to get it going. You have one match and you, you get a, a small few flames started in the, the, the stubble. How do, how do you turn that small flame into a bonfire? There you go. Russ? Thank you, Russ. Yeah. This message has been clarified by Russ Washburn, member of the fire department gasoline yeah Russ how do you how do you start that fire yeah you fan it into flame you, you blow on it you get some oxygen around that fire you fan it into flame the God who gave these gifts to you they gave these gifts to us he didn't call us to be afraid he did call us to be he didn't call us to be embarrassed or to be ashamed of our Lord or of the gospel that we preach but he has empowered us for ministry he has empowered us for ministry that's carried out in a loving manner, and He's empowered us not for wild, chaotic, out-of-control use of those gifts, but for a ministry in which we develop and we use those gifts and we discover those gifts as we get involved in service to others and for the glory of His name. You never need to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ or the message of the good news that we have been called to proclaim first because it is the Holy Spirit Himself who empowered your ministry. It's not you. you know, if Jesus gave us this great commission and said, hey, go into all the world. I, I, I have a special task for you. All right, you ready for it? Susan, you ready? Go change the world. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, right? Wouldn't that be overwhelming? You know, Jesus comes to us and says, just, just go change the whole world. If it was you and me that was responsible for that and it was our job to complete that task and we had no assistance from the other helper who's like Jesus, there is absolutely no way that we could do that. And, and we would have reason to be ashamed because we would make a mess of the whole thing and it would be a disaster. But the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent to us to help us is the one who specifically equips you for the ministry that he's called you to. And he is the one that is carrying out his work in your life. The second and third reason that you never need to be ashamed of Jesus Christ are, are, are tied closely together. And so we're going to look at, those, uh, look at them both as Paul describes them in verses 8 through 12. You never need to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ or the message of good news that we have been called to proclaim because the message which we preach is emboldened by God's grace. Paul goes on, and also because your suffering is emblazoned with purpose. Paul, Paul tells Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, look at verse 8 with me. He goes on 
He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You see, you and I have a message of good news that has to be shared with a world that is around us, a world that is destined for the fires of hell without it. There's a world going to hell because they need Jesus Christ, and we have been called to preach that message to them. But the reality is, somebody's come up to preach, huh? (laughs) The reality is, I love that kid. We've been called to preach the gospel to the whole world, but the reality is, that the world doesn't want to hear the message that calls it to face the hostility of its own sin. People will reject you for telling them the best news that they've ever heard. But do you remember where Paul's writing, where he's sitting as he's writing this letter? And think about that. Think about the words that he's speaking and where he's writing them from. He's sitting in a, a Roman dungeon where he sees little light, if, if any. I mean, it, it would be a, a light through a hole in the ceiling that's coming from a room down the hall. His bed is a cold floor. His toilet is a few feet away, and it's the same floor that he's sleeping on. Prison is, is naturally a, a place of shame. It's a place where society declares that you do not belong with us and your acts of shame require us to remove remove you away from us and to do so in a way that we communicate to you and we communicate to everyone else the shamefulness of what you've done. What is it that Paul had done that got him into a place of shame like that? He preached the good news. He told people about the good news that Jesus Christ had died for their sin. And all that they needed to do to be saved was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's grace that saves us, not our works. That's the message that he preached, and that's what put him in those chains. Paul is in a place that yelled out to the whole world that he should have been embarrassed about the message that he preached. But instead of the apostle reminds young Timothy to not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do you hear those words and where he's writing them from? Do you see the perspective that Paul has? He's in a place of shame, but he is not ashamed at all of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because our message is emboldened by God's grace, and our suffering for that message is emblazoned not with uselessness, but with purpose. Listen to what the good news, excuse me, listen to all the good things which God had given to us, which we don't deserve. Look at verse 9. Tells us he saved us. That is, God rescued us from our sin. Is that not good? Number two, he, he called us to a holy calling. You see, God set us apart for a special purpose. We, we who were once his enemies... We were his enemies, and yet he called us. We were set apart to fulfill God's will. And Paul points out here that it was not because of our works that God called us. You know, when you, when you have a job, a job interview, 
uh, you're going to go to the fire department and you go to Russ and say, yeah, gasoline. <laughs> now, when you go to hire some, get, be hired by somebody, what are they going to do? They're going to look at your qualifications. They want to know what your works are. But Paul tells us God called us because of his own purpose and his grace, not because of our works. It wasn't because we were qualified to serve him. But he wanted to take us who were unqualified and and show the world what he would do through us. He gave those to us in Jesus, which brings us to the fact that, number three, he gave us Jesus. Is that not also good? All these good things that God gave to us. God set things in motion before time even began. Before time existed. God was there. And before that, he gave us his one and only son. Number four, he gave us a savior. Jesus became a man and he died in our place. And five, verse nine, we have eternal life. We once were living in life enshrouded in death, but God's grace, look at verse 10, God's grace now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That is through the good news. My friends, God's grace emboldens us to preach the message of the good news. And the world cries out, shame, shame. Your message disgusts us. Your message divides us. And the temptation is to sense embarrassment. Have you ever been there? Where you're tempted to to be ashamed of the message that you preach because of what people around you are saying, what they're thinking, how they're treating you? The temptation is to sense embarrassment for, for, for the Jesus that we represent and the message that we have been called to preach. But Paul reminds us of all that God's grace has accomplished, and that should change our perspective. It requires that we look at the cause of embarrassment, and then we change our mind about the reasons we sense that shame in the first place. Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony. That's Paul's message to Timothy. Do not be ashamed. A few years back, there was a state congressman, congresswoman in um, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you remember this, but she was ridiculed, uh, attacked publicly because of the message that she believes and proclaims. Uh, she was invited to give the opening prayer to that day's session. I think it was 2019. And... Um, She was on the house floor and she was doing the opening prayer. An evangelical Christian was invited to pray to her God on the same day that the first Muslim woman was also sworn into the Pennsylvania Congress. And so Representative uh, Berwitz did what she was asked to do. She prayed to her God and she named the name of Jesus because that's the God that she believes in. Here's one of the written attacks that was printed that week uh, here in our own country. Feckless Christian Stephanie Borowitz was asked to give the opening invocation at Monday's Pennsylvania House of Representatives session. She gave a prayer where she invoked the name of Jesus 12 times, called him Lord of all, thanked him for being with the founding fathers in Lincoln, thanked him for a president's support of Israel, thanked him for Israel, said every knee shall bow to Jesus. And finally, when another member cried objection, she was tapped on the arm by the house leader to get off the stage. 
article goes on, it says, on the schedule for that day was the swearing in of a new congresswoman who happens to be Muslim. Ms. Borowitz does not think that she did anything wrong because that's how she always prays. Ugh. End of quote. Is he one of the chamber's top leaders spoke from the House floor that same day and he said this, never have we started out with a prayer that divides us. Prayer should never divide us. It should bring us together. See, here's, here's the reality. We believe in a God, a Savior, and we preach a gospel of God's grace, a gospel that is good news that Jesus Christ has Jesus Christ at the center of that message. And the world will not tolerate your message unless it is stripped of its power. They will tolerate your message as long as it tolerates the works of men. As long as it tolerates our sin. As long as it leaves out the Savior, Jesus Christ. But as soon as your message claims that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven given among men by which we must be saved, then this Jesus, then the world is going to cry out against you, shame. Shame on you. Paul writes regarding this gospel in verse 11. He says, is for this gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. My friends, I want you to understand as you go out from here into the world and you evaluate what gifts God has given to you and as all of us do the work of an evangelist and share the gospel with a world that needs Jesus, as you go out and do that, you never need to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ or the message that he's called you to preach. Because the message which we preach is emboldened by God's grace, not by works, not by us, not by our abilities, but by God's grace. And you never need to be ashamed because your suffering is not useless. Your suffering is emblazoned with purpose. It is not in vain. But there's a fourth reason why you do not need to be ashamed according to what Paul tells Timothy here. Let's look at verses 12 to 14. Uh, verse 12 is actually a, a hard verse to translate. Uh, it it literally, literally reads, he is able to guard my deposit. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And so the question is whether, it, is Paul referring to the deposit that, that Paul has entrusted to God and, and God can, can guard that? Uh, that's how a couple versions uh, take it. Um, or is the deposit entrusted to Paul? Has God entrusted the deposit to Paul? A am I trusting God to protect everything uh, that I've handed over to him, or am I trusting God to protect everything that he's handed over to me? Well, both are true, right? So, so we're not going to teach something false if we decide one way or the other. Um, both are true, and, and so either way, we don't need to be ashamed because the God that we have put our trust in will guard the deposit. But in the context here, I, I believe Paul is referring to the gift and the ministry and the message that was entrusted to him as an apostle. That's, I think that's what he's talking about. He's saying that the deposit that God had entrusted to him will be protected by the Lord who really is the one who is completing all the work through Paul in the first place. 
through each one of us. And his point is this. You can trust your God who has called you to this ministry. You can guard the deposit given to, uh, you can guard the deposit given to you because the Holy Spirit who dwells in you will guard that deposit until you meet your Savior face to face. And Paul knows that he's about to see that day, isn't he? He knows that he's about to, to go to the presence of the Lord. And his earthly life is almost over. They're going to remove his head from his body. And he knows that, that though the world may take away his life, his Savior has abolished death. And the Holy Spirit will continue that good work which he started in, in, in people like Paul. And it will go well past Paul's days here on earth. I like how the contemporary English version translates verses 12 through 14. So I'm going to read, read those. He says, but I am not ashamed. I know the one I have faith in. And I am sure that he can guard until the last day what he has trusted me with. Now follow the example of the correct teaching I gave you and let the faith and love of Christ Jesus be your model. You've been trusted with a, a wonderful treasure. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. You and I never need to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ, nor of the message of good news with which we've been entrusted to proclaim. Not only because your ministry is empowered by God, not only because your message is emboldened by grace and your suffering is emblazoned with purpose, but number four, your deposit is guarded until it is finished this morning i'd like to conclude by taking you to north korea one of the most dangerous countries in the world for christians especially in this last century in north korea if you are caught with a bible if you are caught singing a christian hymn if you are caught praying you can face up to 15 years in a labor camp where Christians work 12 hours a day and are frequently beaten. And I'd just like to let you meet one of your sisters in Christ and let you hear from her words a, a modern embodiment of the message that we just read. Uh, Bay, who is not her real name, in North Korea has a lifetime sentence of backbreaking labor and starvation rations because... She's a Christian. Uh, once uh, she managed to escape, and um, she got support from Open Door, who, who was going to make this video. Uh, their field workers in China helped her out. But Bay made a decision. She said, I have to go back because I can't abandon my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so she chose to take aid, and then she took a Bible back to North Korea. And here's her amazing story. Hyongjae님 보시오. 우리는 주님의 은혜와 여러분의 은혜로 평안하게 잘 지내고 있습니다. 이 글을 쓰는 이 순간 내래. 마음이 무겁습니다. 
우리가 결코 보답할 수 없는 선물을 여러분들에게서 받았기 때문입니다. 우리가 갖고 있던 성경책은 발각되는 순간 처리되었습니다. 그리고 우리는 그리스도인이었기 때문에 먼 남은 곳으로 추방되었습니다. 이제 결코 도망갈 수 없게 되었습니다. 여기서 일하는 것은 힘이 듭니다. 배급도 충분하지 않습니다. 우리는 항상 배고프고 또 아픕니다. 여기서는 살아남기 위해서 스스로 먹을 것을 찾아 나서야 합니다. 그러나 매일 아침 눈을 뜰때주 하나님의 임재를 느낍니다. 여전히 주의 종으로 섬길 수 있도록 강건하게 하시는 우리 아버지 하나님께 감사드립니다. 사람이 떡으로만 살 것이 아니오 하나님의 입으로 나오는 모든 말씀으로 살 것이라 어려운 기회로 최근에 국경을 넘어 다른 그리스도인들을 만날 기회가 있었습니다 그들은 저에게 음식과 약도 주고 또 주님의 은혜로 성격책도 주었습니다 그곳에 있었을 때더 머물 수 있는 기회가 있었습니다 제가 자유로워질 수 있는 순간이었습니다 그러나 저는 저의 가족과 교회를 저버릴 수 없었습니다. 아무리 작은 교회라도 말입니다. 여러분의 입장에서 보았을 때 우리가 고통당하는 것이 저주처럼 보일지도 모릅니다. 그러나 우리는 이것을 축복으로 압니다. 아버지께로 가는 지름길이기 때문입니다. 그러나 공교롭게도 부탁이 하나 더 있습니다. 우리를 위하여 기도하는 분들에게 우리가 얼마나 감사한 마음을 가지고 있는지 전달해 주시기를 부탁드립니다. 우리는 여기서 건강하게 잘 견디겠습니다. 그리고 북한 땅에 계속해서 주님의 복음을 전하겠습니다. 여러분의 자매 올림 Sometimes overcoming our shame just requires a change in perspective. It requires that we look at the cause of embarrassment and we change our mind about the reasons we sense the shame in the first place. You and I never need to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. We never need to be ashamed of the good news that we have been called to proclaim and that we believe in. This is our story. We're part of the story. And so may we go out from here and have the words on our lips, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Paul, 
we thank you for his faithfulness to a perspective that saw his suffering for what it was. We thank you that he was bold in proclaiming the gospel. And we thank you for sisters in Christ like Bay and, and many others in North Korea and Sudan as we've been discovering this week. So many other countries around the world where people's lives are at risk for believing in Jesus Christ. Father, we know in our own country that, that our freedoms are diminishing. We, we know that a time is coming when we may even pay that price as well. Where our faith is less and less tolerated. We know that we live in a world that wherever we are, whether we have relative freedoms or whether we're persecuted, Father, we know that we live in a world that hates us because they hated you first. And so let us have a perspective. Teach us to have a perspective and we trust, in which we trust you and we rejoice in our suffering because it is you who is doing the work through us, your Holy Spirit. Because there's purpose in our suffering and there's purpose in the work that you've called us to, be do, to, to complete. And because you've given us so much good in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us go out from here and boldly proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ came to save. Amen.